said i was telling my friend like i'm usually super tolerant of my family and we have a great relationship but i have had it with them i need to go somewhere and just be alone for maybe like a month (laughs) (laughs) yeah like it's so weird because uh, you know my wife and i we obviously don't live with my parents but the other day my because first off we're pregnant and my mom is saying you gotta do this you gotta do that thank you we're fine (laughs) and now we found out um over the weekend that my mom and stepdad have decided to go full extra. They're sick of being in the city. They tested negative for the virus and antibodies. And so they decided to lease a house out in the Hamptons of all places for a month. Like, <laughs> sounds amazing though. It sounds that amazing. We're, pro- we're probably gonna go visit them uh, once we get our antibody uh, test results back. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, hi, folks. Welcome aboard to the Yankees Mets Express. Uh, we are fully up and running now here alongside uh, with Lean Amin. I am your host, Josh Benjamin. Uh, Lean, how's it going? Doing well. Hope all of our listeners are doing well, too. Um, hope you're staying sane. I know I'm not the only person going crazy. Most of the people I know are losing their minds, but it seems like there's light at the end of the tunnel. So that's what, great news. What is the most insane thing that you would say your family has done uh, in quarantine? Oh, man. Like, like, has anyone thrown a tantrum? Is anyone just, like, running around going yeah, crazy? Yeah, we've, we've gotten to a few really big fights. I actually got into a fight with both of my parents. I didn't talk to them for, like, I think four days. <laughs> I literally just stayed in my room <laughs> for four days. All that right. was earlier on, though, so we've learned to live with each other, I guess, since then. I don't yeah. know. How about you? Um, it's nothing more than usual cabin fever. It's yeah. like, I, I just had to text my mom because I feel like she kind of went behind our back with questions about the baby and stuff like that. Oh, so gosh. it was just a matter of me, of me saying very firmly over text, Hey, going forward, if you have a question, you got to come through us. Don't go through a third party. And, you know, uh, parents are, they're going to throw a little, little hissy fit over that. But course, no, yeah, I mean, they're your parents, they're nosy, but it's because they care. Yeah. Know? Yeah, 100%. And we love them for it. Of course. But thankfully, we've uh, got, even without sports on TV, we've still got some prime sports content. The Last Dance wrapped up this weekend, and it is probably the best docuseries I've seen in a very long time. Yes. I am, I am so sad that it's over. Like, I can't even put it into words. That was, that was an experience, honestly. It was so it great. It really was. They did such a great job. I know people were... Uh, I don't know if you saw this on social media, a lot of people were complaining about the timeline being out of order. That's something that really bothered me. I feel like if you're, you know, if you have a brain and if you're paying attention, that shouldn't be a problem for you. I don't know why it was such a big deal, but. Yeah, I mean, because I think that based on the marketing of the docuseries, it was made very obvious. This is about the 98 team. Yeah. And when for people to see them go back and forth and kind of jump jump between the past and 1998, I can understand why if you have a shorter attention span, that's going to throw you off. 
but you can't tell the story of the 98 team without telling the story of Michael Jordan, without telling the story of Scottie Pippen, without like even Steve Kerr, who basically yeah. got into the, uh, the practice fight with Jordan. There's, there's so much to uncover because um, you can't just tell the Michael Jordan story. Of it's, course. It's just not possible. Definitely, um, I completely agree with that. Yeah, um, and I thought that the last two episodes did a phenomenal job of really going into how the last two years were being viewed as the last dance. Of mm-hmm, definitely. Um, oh, I will say this, though. I remember, and my brother and I were talking about this, but uh, I had also seen other people say the same thing. The finale of episode seven, where mm-hmm. he was like, you know, you're basically like you're judging me like this because you've never won anything and then he said cut and got up I was like praying that they they were gonna have a better finale for the entire series than that because I was like if they don't then they drop the ball on this one and even though the finale was good I feel like that's my probably number one complaint that would have been an epic epic conclusion to the series I don't know if you agree with that I don't think I'm not sure I agree because I feel that like I feel that Jordan, for so long, like the fact that they didn't get a chance to go for number seven when they easily were more than willing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure how how much I agree with him saying, "Oh, if Scotty was offered a one year deal, he would have taken it." No, Scotty Pippen was taking the max contract, no matter where, no matter where it came from. Um, but I think that on the whole, it was a deep dive into just what motivated Michael Jordan throughout his career, throughout his life. I think this was the most honest look we we got at Michael Jordan um, in twenty odd years. Yeah, it was. I, you could you could show me proof this man wasn't a psychopath, and I wouldn't believe you, man. He's crazy. He's crazy, but, but like he's a great he's, look into. Yeah, he's who very he was. intense. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> on, on the whole, I mean, when when my one criticism is there isn't enough Dennis Rodman. That's just me being nitpicky, but <laughs> but on the whole, I think it was a great docu series. I think I'd love to see them do one on the '98 Yankees, just talking about the core four. Oh, of course, isn't yeah. that all your dreams? Yeah. Well, not just that, because like it, it, watching this made me realize Derek Jordan, Derek, Derek Jordan, Derek, Derek, Jordan. <laughs> Derek Jeter, and Michael Jordan are two very similar. They yeah. both have this almost animalistic desire to win, and and yet it's almost kind of what alienated them from some people. Like, it, like I'm here to win. If you're going to get in my way, I can't have you here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, and also this is going to be an unpopular opinion. Did I tell you how, because uh, we talked last episode, how I have uh, a friend of a friend who's a huge Scottie Pippen fan. Yeah. And, you mentioned- and I'm just kind of twisting myself into a pretzel, calling, it, calling him a bum. I'm not going to say right now, Scottie Pippen was a bum, but I did a deep dive on his numbers. Absolute system player. I'm going to say it. Dude, uh, no. Hear me out. Hear me out. He didn't start putting up the best number of his the best numbers of his career until Phil Jackson came in and started in, and started up with the uh, the triangle offense. And everything he did after Chicago, he could have been the guy in Houston. He could have been the guy in Portland, and he just couldn't lead a team. No, no. Look, listen, listen. There are players, especially in basketball, who are great and all-time greats, but can't be the guy. We have some of them playing right now. Whether anyone wants to admit it or not, I don't, I don't care. This is not a matter of opinion. Russell Westbrook is a prime example of that. Russell Westbrook is an elite basketball player, 
may end up being not one of the very best, but one of the best ever. Um, he cannot be the guy on on a team, and we've seen that. And just because Scottie Pippen was an all-time great, does it mean that he could have been the guy? Here's here's my main thing with Scottie Pippen because Basketball Reference they do these similarity scores where they see how, over your your ten best years how do, how do you match up with who, which players do you match up with? Yeah, Scottie Pippen's number one similarity score is Sean Marion, great player, mm-hmm. but a system player. Mm-hmm. Sean Marion had his prime years with the Suns, was traded away from Phoenix when he was still fairly young and still could have put up elite numbers, and he just didn't. It, and just how Sean Marion needed Mike D'Antoni's seven seconds or less offense, I think that Scottie Pippen needed the triangle offense to be great. But, but, but the, I, even but, so, he was still great. He was still great. I don't, I don't know if we could call him elite necessarily. Does that make sense? Okay. Because I, I feel I feel because here's something else to consider. He went to a smaller college. Yes. Where and and they were NAIA at the time. Mm-hmm. And even if he, they were in CAA, the, the level of competition compared to what Michael Jordan was seeing at North Carolina, completely different. He was not not as strong an athlete as Jordan. And I feel that oh, Josh, no at, one is comparing Scottie Pippen to the greatest <laughs> basketball player of all time. I'm you just being an, let me be anti bulls damn it. <laughs> All right, fine. fine. The 90s still hurt. (laughs) I'm not over the 90s. Charles Smith was fouled. Look, like, pathetic people like Knicks fans, I understand that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, okay. (laughs) All right. You feel the need to do this, but, you know, I mean, can't deny Scottie Pippen was still great. Yeah, and that's 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 proof. You saw what he did to you. You saw what he did to you guys. Come on. You should have respect. Like, you didn't lose to a bomb. I'm you just, lost to an elite player. I'm just saying, without Phil Jackson, I think Scottie Pippen peaks as a three and D. That's all okay. I'm saying. Fine. We have no proof. Fine. <laughs> we okay. do. Yeah, there's no proof, and like I'd have to go. I'd have to look back at endless hours of footage to determine that. But on the whole, you do that. And let me know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. On the on the whole, though, we're not here to, to debate Scottie Pippen. Uh, I still enjoy ragging on this one guy, even though there's little validity <laughs> to my argument, which I acknowledge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that that said, I great docu series. I was sad that it ended. I thought that across the board, the bar has been raised for sports documentaries, and they yes. even advertised some great thirty for thirties that are coming this. Yeah, summer. they all look awesome. Uh, the Bruce Lee one seems a little out of place to me. Yeah, my dad even he saw the commercial for it for the first time on Sunday and was like, "What? What is this? And why are they doing it?" He's a huge Bruce Lee fan, by the way, right, but he was yeah. still confused. I want to watch it just to see how weird it's gonna be, but yeah, um, I am excited for the Sammy Sosa Mark McGuire one, though. I don't know about you. Sammy Sosa has it does not look well. Oh, not at all. He's, yeah, I think he's got to take his plastic surgeon off of speed dial. <laughs> no, but that I'm really excited to watch that story, especially now that we know what we do about about steroids. Absolutely, stuff. yeah. But uh, shifting back to baseball, lean yeah. uh, MLB uh, and the players' union—they have a lot to talk about. They've been talking. What's going on? Excuse me. Well, uh, the burp kind of caught up with me there. So but. we heard we had a nice. Um... I got a nice update yesterday from San Diego catcher Austin Hedges, who's the Padres union representative. Okay. 
he'd said that coming out of a meeting with the owners, he said that he's very confident and that a lot of the players are very confident that a season will happen. He didn't yeah. specify when, but things are looking good right now. So I think a lot of what um, what's being talked about right now, because um, as of now, because we're, we're recording this in, on the afternoon of, of May 19th, um, as of now, per updates we have received, the players have yet to receive uh, a full financial proposal from the owners. They've been talking mostly scheduling, health and safety, and just general logistics, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. um, but if, they're, if Austin Hedges, he's there in the room, he's the union rep, and I'm guessing his teammates chose him to be their union rep, I... I'm going to take on faith. He has no reason to say he has no reason to say that they're that they're pessimistic or that things are just plodding along. If he's optimistic, I'm going to trust the player on that. Exactly. I my thoughts exactly. Um, I actually just got a notification like right this second. It says MLB gave Union two choices for 2020 pay structure. This is who's this from? The score. I just got an, apparently a, a report. John Heyman reported this. Yeah, I think I think I have this as well. John Heyman report uh, tweeted out. Uh, MLB hasn't yet made new offer to players, but has painted a bleak economic picture for season without fans at games. MLB has suggested hypothetically they'd lose uh, one and a half billion plus, even if a two games were played for free with no player pay, and mm -hmm. that's and that's not happening. But the union is definitely skeptical of the money talk, which they should be. Um, but yeah, what's the, what's the score? What is the score? Um... This seems to be the summary. It just says in this short paragraph, uh, the two options that the league gave the union are one, the players could agree to renegotiate the 2020 pay structure to something other than the prorated salaries previously agreed upon. The second option is waiting to begin the season until the coronavirus pandemic clears enough so fans are allowed to attend ballparks. That one emerged because owners are expecting to lose like over a billion dollars because they're gonna there won't be fans in attendance. This is kind of where I call BS because I don't know I don't know right. if you saw some if you saw something. I think this was tweeted out last night. There was an article on Fangraphs that did more of a deeper dive into the money money aspects of it. I do not speak legalese, nor am I a financial expert, so I just generally skimmed this article. Mm -hmm. But the gist of it was that owners are saying um, we're they're going to lose about six hundred twenty five thousand dollars per game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I crunched the numbers on that. Um, let's assume with an 82 game season that uh, home road games are split down the middle. You get 41. You get 41 home games, right? Yeah. Yeah. So 625,000 times four times 41. That comes out to about um, we'll say 26.2 million dollars. Now you multiply that across all 30 teams, and they're looking at a loss of about 787 million dollars, and that's with and that's with no fans. However, one thing that the article pointed out is that what the owners are saying is going to hurt them financially. They're not accounting for TV revenue. Yes. Yeah. And given how there's almost definitely not going to be fans at ballparks this year, that means a lot more TV revenue. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, you, you have to think about people who aren't even necessarily usually baseball fans. They're also going to be watching just for the sake of watching sports. So there's going to be a lot of TV revenue there. That's fair. Um, yeah, especially depending on what the uh, NBA, NHL, and NFL decide yeah. to do. Uh, NBA, they're talking about having teams um, practice at their own facilities for a certain time before traveling to either, I think they mentioned Florida or Las Vegas, where they would 
pretty much have the games in one centralized location. Yeah. Which for the NBA and given how close they were to the end of their regular season, I think that makes the most sense for them. Mm-hmm. Baseball, it's a little trickier. Yes. Because um, right now um, with the money, it's just a matter of the owners being a little more transparent about what they are going to lose, where, like how much they are taking in. But before we get to the money talk, Lean, um, I think it's most important, first and foremost, to talk about the uh, health and safety protocols. Uh, Jeff Passan, ESPN senior MLB insider, who, who's done a great job covering all this and putting everything in the layman's terms. Um, you put down some bullet points for the, for the health and safety measures. What do we got? Yeah, I'm just going to sum up everything that Passon said in his piece about the day in the life of a player. So we're just mm-hmm. going to go through like a standard day of what a player's life would look like once baseball does come back. So first, you're going to wake up. You're going to check your temperature twice. Okay. If your temperature is over 100 degrees, you have to self-isolate, call the team doctor, and prepare to take a quote-unquote rapid response COVID-19 test. If not, if your temperature is below 100 degrees, you're good to go to the stadium. Once you get to the stadium, you have to put on your mask and then proceed to walk in. Then you get your temperature taken again. If everything is okay, then you're allowed in four restricted areas, either the field, the training room, the weight room, or the clubhouse. However, their teams are going to have to build auxiliary clubhouses to accommodate more lockers because lockers have to be six feet apart and there aren't enough in each clubhouse. Yeah. So I guess that depends. I guess that's relative to each team's clubhouse because I haven't been to the new Yankee Stadium's uh, clubhouse yet. I haven't taken a tour. Mm -hmm. But from what I understand, the Yankee Stadium club, the home clubhouse is pretty big. Maybe uh, there are some that are big enough, but Passon said in the article that it seems like most teams would have to build additional. Well, yeah, especially bases. for especially for road teams too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, so four restricted and, areas, which you just rattled off. Right, and then you could be in for a COVID nineteen test because you have to take a few a week, even if you don't have a, temp- a high temperature. Mm-hmm. And there will also be monthly blood tests for coronavirus antibodies. I like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, another note: you can't use hot or cold tubs, cryotherapy, saunas, or steam rooms. At four thirty, that's usually when hitters have their meetings. Uh, these are either going to be via iPad or outside. Indoor meetings no longer exist. Okay. Um, I guess <clears throat> players will be lucky, though, because they could take their masks off on the field. Um, yeah. We have to remember the dugout's going to look a little, little different, too. You can't have any water or sports drink jugs anymore. No sunflower mm-hmm. seeds and no dip. Now, game time comes around. No lineup card exchange. That's going to be done before via right. an app. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, the manager is going to stand along the railing because he won't be allowed to stand on the steps. And other coaches are going to be social distancing, standing six feet apart. Yeah. Only players likely to enter the game can be in the dugout. The rest have to be in the stands. And if you are sitting in the stands, the closest you can sit to any other player is with four empty seats between you and two empty rows behind you. Uh, in the game itself, pitchers can't lick their fingers. They now have their own personal rosin bags if they want to get a better grip on the ball. And hitters, before they hit, they have their own pine tar rags for their bats. Okay. Um, 
you also, let's say you hit a single and you're going to first base, you cannot talk to the first baseman. You cannot socialize with players manning the bases under any circumstances. And this is a famous one we've heard so far. You cannot fight. That's off limits. I mean, baseball brawls are so few and far between right now. As yeah. That, that's, almost, that's kind of a redundant Of course, thing. at least this isn't hockey or anything. But, you know, they still do yeah. happen nonetheless. Yeah. Um, now, if the ball is in play and it is touched by multiple players, it must immediately be replaced. If I mean, they were, they, they were kind of doing that to begin with already, though. Yeah, so. it wasn't. Balls were getting replaced pretty frequently. You're right. Yeah. If you are playing in the game, you must wash or sanitize your hands every half inning. If the bullpen slash dugout phones are used, they must immediately be disinfected. Uh, as soon as the game is over, clubhouse attendants give you your prepackaged meal. There's no longer a buffet. Right, yeah. You can eat with your teammates, but social distancing rules apply. Mm -hmm. After you're done with that, you go back to your hotel and you cannot leave again without approval, which basically means you can't leave. And housekeeping is not allowed to enter the rooms. So that's basically day in the life of a baseball player. This is kind of where I, this, it kind of lost me, especially... Now, sanitizing the bullpen phone, I fully endorse that because the virus is transmitted through droplets. You're on the phone like, hello, warm this guy up. So definitely you want to sanitize at least the, at least the receiver. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of washing your hands every half inning and, and being uh, as diligent with the ball, every study I've, I've heard of or every expert I've listened to says that the virus, while it can exist on a surface, it's very rarely in an infectious form when it does. So, and, and not only that, I feel that between those measures and like social distancing, I feel that MLB's plan doesn't really quite account for an individual city or state's reopening phases, you know? Like, mm -hmm. like New York, for example, uh, a majority of the state, except for the city uh, and Long Island, Westchester, most of the state has started phase one of reopening this week, yeah? Mm -hmm. West, yeah. Western, Western New York started theirs today. Right. So that means that in two weeks, they'll, they'll enter phase two. Um, and I feel like as a state reopens, are the players allowed to take advantage of that or are they kind of under lock and key? Because one thing that um, you didn't really touch on was the travel. Because um, you talk about players going to a hotel. Is that just on the road or is that for home games as well? Because a lot of Yankees players, especially, and we'll throw the Mets in there as well, they probably live at or around the city. Mm -hmm. and or in and or, or around the city and Garrett Cole I know for a fact he's been staying home with his wife Amy and the only and the only visitor they've really had is Aaron Boone because he lives right down the road mm -hmm. so and also Garrett and Amy they have their babies do I think any day right now maybe, maybe next month I'm not sure I think next month yeah but she's in her third trimester and Mike Trout he's got a baby on the way and he's already said, I'm not going to stay at a hotel and miss the birth of my child. Yeah. And Bryce Harper, I mean, uh, he said about the money, how the 50-50 split isn't going to be a thing. So now you've got arguably the two best players in the league saying, if we're going to play, we're going to have to have some freedom of movement. And, and I understand, because one thing that um, we didn't touch on uh, that Passon talked about, players aren't allowed to take Ubers or Lyfts, right? Mm -hmm. Now, on the road, that's easy enough because you just charter a couple of buses to take the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, 
to take players to the stadium. And then you just have them sitting apart accordingly. You have two or three buses to accommodate everyone. It's pricey, but that's at least doable. Yeah? Mm-hmm. But wh- let's say that I'm a Yankees player right now. I live in the city. And I don't own a car. Like, and just because I live in the city, I just pay the $20 for them to take me from, let's say, Midtown to Yankee Stadium on game days. How am I supposed to get to the stadium now? From my apartment, you know. I so uh, it's good that you brought that up the home the whole home game thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paston actually didn't really talk about it that much in the piece. Like I I basically read to you what was written, sure. and um, the I would say for when it comes to like if you live in the city and you need a ride to the stadium, my best guess would be that the team would accommodate something for you, like some type of transportation. Like hire a driver that they can vet individually. Yeah, maybe something that. like that. Have the exactly have the drivers tested, things like that. I don't know. That that would be my best guess, but I really have no clue. I don't even think they've mentioned anything about that. Um there there are a lot of things that need to be um like a okay. small little details like that that need to be all right. So I've just pulled up um what Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drylick posted for the athletic that were also bullet points like Patson did with travel. Teams should control their environments as much as possible. Use of public transportation and individual private transportation, rideshare services like Lyft and Uber is discouraged. So it's not that it's flat out um, prohibited, but it's... I'm gonna... So you're, you said uh, discouraged and not prohibited. That's actually a point of concern that uh, when I was reading it, I thought the same thing, and apparently players are wondering it too. Um, there are all of these rules and restrictions but the MLB hasn't outlined a penalty for breaking these rules. Like what, so what if someone does take an Uber? What, what, what's going to happen? What's their penalty? What if they do leave the hotel room? Are they going to get fined? Like what, are they going to get suspended? It's hard to say just because this is su- these are such uncharted uh, waters. Right. Like there, like there was no way to prepare for this. So, it, so pretty much MLB and the union are in the rare common position where they're still learning a lot of this day by day. Of course, yeah. Because um, w- one thing that stuck out to me yesterday, and I, and I was having, uh, I was talking to a friend about this last night. Now, now, now granted, uh, each of us had had a cocktail at this point, so, so maybe, um, <laughs> so maybe like this was just like a little bit of, bit of like liquid brain or whatever. But one thing that stands out to me is that is that they're saying, oh, you can't have, uh, we're discouraging taking an Uber or a Lyft. Um, but yet, yeah, in case someone's injured, because in lieu of the minor leagues and having someone called up, they're going to have this sort of taxi squad, it sounds like, mm. where like these guys are holed up in a hotel and if yeah. they're needed, they're just shuttled to the hotel. And I was saying to a friend, look, how about this? How about why don't teams, because you've been to Yankee Stadium, the, one of the main things you see out in the outfit is the Toyota Terrace, right? There's a partnership yes. with Toyota. So what's to stop teams from reaching out to let's say a local dealership or reaching out to the, to the company and saying, Hey, how much would it cost to lease X amount of cars for our players for X amount of months? And this way player, and this way players are told, okay, you can choose, uh, you can choose from Toyota, Honda, whatever the team's partnership is with. You have, you have the option between one model of sedan, one model SUV. All you really get to choose is the color. That's it. And this way you don't have guys who are jealous about one guy having a better car, whereas one, guy, whereas one guy's driving, let's say, an Escalade and the other one's just driving a little cruddy little Toyota. Mm-hmm. 
So this way you figure out, okay, you get, you have uh, one choice of luxury sedan, one choice of luxury SUV, whatever you're more comfortable uh, driving, all you get to pick is the color. That's it. And then, and then when, uh, because we'll talk about it in a second, and then whatever the cost is for each individual player's car over the course of a season, just deduct that from their salaries. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. I think that, I think that at a minimum that's worth exploring. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know, maybe we're missing something, but I feel like we're not, I don't know why that hasn't even been mentioned yet because I feel like it's something that's super important. Well, Um, this is a serious question. Out of all active major league players that played last year, players who played at least, let's say a hundred innings in MLB, how many of those players don't have a driver's license? I'd imagine less than a percent. Probably very, very few, yeah. And, yeah, and in which case, if there are players like that, just figure out where they live in relation to a player who does have a car, who does drive, and then just have them sit in the back. Yeah. And it's not just that, because like we talked about TV, TV revenue. This is also a prime time for players to get involved. You, you, uh, they could stream these on the team's YouTube channels, have a little GoPro, and just have them talking about life during the season as they're driving to the park. That's that's uh, that's a great great idea for marketing purposes. What that yeah. Was, yeah, that's a really really good point. How how much fun would that be if you see like I don't know like Aaron Judge and Glaber Torres just like chilling in the car talking about the season? Yeah, and and not just that. I mean, you know, I listen to R two C two a lot. Uh, Ryan mm-hmm. Rucco and Cece Sabathia's podcast. They've been recording their podcast via Zoom like we are right now. Yeah, and they and it's there's just a level of intimacy to it. Like you see the yeah, back, like just watching CeCe's dog jump up on the couch with him, mm-hmm. seeing his fish tank in the background, watching Mike Harkey sitting in his kitchen with like his quarantine beer and him complaining about it. Yeah. And then Aaron Boone, like still being fired up, even if he's recording from his office at his home. Yeah. And I, it, it kind of pulls back the curtain and you get to know these guys on a whole deeper level. Definitely. And I think that with all this concern about, um, TV and ad revenues. I think that if you if you add streaming revenue to that by putting these, because every team has its own individual YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. I think that if you post this to the YouTube channel and with fans starved for content as they are, this is kind of a nice booby prize for not being able to go to the stadium because mm-hmm, you get to you get to know your favorite players better. Yeah, uh, but that's. I hope uh, the MLB is listening to this. That's a great idea. You guys Rob should Manfred, definitely. I know, do. I know where your office is. <laughs> Players Union, I know where your office is too. Because <laughs> it's in the same building as my lawyer's office. So, uh, and, and, but anyway, uh, let, let's just- oh, I have, Actually, I have uh, one more note about the document, just very yeah, briefly. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, players express concern about this. Apparently in the document, spring training is scheduled to begin on June 10th, which is just a few weeks away. Players literally, after they read the document, they were like, you expect us to be ready to go in spring training on June 10th? Well, I think that I, from what I've read, spring training, it's going to ha- is it going to happen at their facilities or at the home ballparks? I'm not sure. Yeah, who um, knows at this point? Yeah, because I, I think June 10th, that, that's just a, that was a tentative start day because June 10th, here, look at my calendar, that's one, two, three. It's three weeks away. And, yeah. give, and given how they're, talking every day they're not taking any days off and they might uh, this weekend with the holiday coming up but they're motivated to do a deal and then it's not like they're asking teams to show players to show up ready to go no no it's spring training it's a three-week process and then the games are going to start at or about fourth of july mm-hmm. so there's time to 
to get ready. Yeah. It's not, it's not like they're, they're saying, hey, uh, we're going to have you come back to training June 10th. The season's going to start June 17th. No, they're saying come June 10th. You've been tra- we know you've been training in the meantime because you didn't want to, you didn't just stop uh, when spring training was suspended initially. Just come back. We're gonna get into the groove again. You'll have three weeks. We'll adjust everything accordingly. Josh, even it. so, though, to play devil's advocate, even though what you're bringing up good points, um, I actually read something the other day about how the Korean Baseball League, which is back, um, mm-hmm. they're actually experiencing an abnormally high number of injuries and everyone is saying it's because of what happened with corona even though like they're athletes and they're training at home it's still not the same and their bodies aren't in great as great of a shape as they would be if life was normal i mean that that's valid that's definitely a concern i remember i i saw some doctor predicted how we're going to see a rise in Tommy John surgeries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I, I fully agree with that just because, just because pitchers arms and like, and pitching in general. I mean, last summer I read this phenomenal book by Tyler Kepner, who's the uh, national baseball beat writer for the, uh, for the New York times. It's a book called K a history of baseball in 10 pitches. And he talks mm-hmm. about 10 different pitches and just how hard it is to learn how to throw them and just be yeah. just the toll it takes on pitchers. So yeah, we are going to see more injured pitchers, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I can only hope that the Yankees and Mets aren't, aren't overly affected by it. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to, you have to consider with the Korean league, how long were they training before they went right, right into game action? Mm-hmm. What, cause in, um, cause in the Korean league, especially there's a lot more emphasis put on hitting yeah uh on power hitting especially because i um i remember years ago when i was uh with forbes i wrote an article about um byung ho park you remember him for the uh on the twins i remember writing an article saying hey they gave him this money don't be surprised if he doesn't do well on the major level because it's hard to hit home runs in target field and if you and i remember researching um all the various korean ballparks and i think at, at that time, they didn't have a single one where the center fielder went over 400 feet. Hmm. And as a result, you, you see these pitchers come out of Korea with ERAs mm-hmm. in the mid-high fours, and they're considered aces. Yes. Just because, just because it, in Korea, it is all about that enhanced offense. Exactly. Where yeah. in, whereas in Japan, it's more about contact hitting. Mm-hmm. And, and in baseball, we've kind of, we're kind of shifting more towards that Korean model where it's about launch angle, exit velocity, this, that, and the other. Definitely. Um, but that said, I think that while the players' concerns are valid, I think we also need to trust that team training staffs are trying to figure out how to make this new abbreviated spring training as, pay- as for lack of a better word, painless as possible. Yeah. Well, the good news in all this in general is that, um, like you and I were discussing before, Governor Cuomo uh, said that He's urging major sports teams to resume play with no fans, says that New York is ready for that. And yep. uh, California and Texas have also uh, said the same thing. So I don't know. I just I'm, I'm getting a little bit more optimistic when it comes to sports returning. I'm getting more cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Just because because like I'll fully admit, I, I look at all the medical parameters and new testing measures that they're putting in and I get a little ugh, like put taken aback by it just because I'm, I'm, I'm weird about people being all up in my face. <laughs> um, but it's necessary. It's what has to happen. My only concern is that both sides are going to draw such a hard line when it comes to money, which we'll talk about next. Um, and that's going to derail everything. 
Yeah. I, I hope I'm wrong. I have a feeling I am going to be wrong. But the the concern and anxiety about such still, it does exist. Yeah. Agreed. Anyway, let, let's talk money now, Lean, because mm-hmm. the players early on um, in late March, less than two weeks after coronavirus shut everything down, they agreed, we're going to give up, a, I did the math, for every game lost, they're going to give up a, pretty much their game checks for it. So all in all, assuming that the original agreement was stuck to and play resumes in July with an 82-game season, players have lost close to 51% of salary already. Mm-hmm. And, now the owners wow. are, and now the owners are calling for a 50-50 revenue split. Yes. Throwing the prorated salaries out the window, which I'd have less of a problem with that plan if they were being fully transparent with their finances, which they're not. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Lean, you have been following the story same as I have. What is, what is your takeaway from all of this? You know... I think the owners are greedy billionaires who want their money. And at the same time, well, they're mostly billionaires. Yeah. I think, I think, there, I think there's a few that aren't billionaires, but yeah, they're, well, still, they're, they're exactly. still very rich men that are clinging to their money. Like, like, a exactly. Um, and based on the reaction of fans, it's very difficult at the same time for your typical average American to f- feel bad for the players right who are also millionaires, you know? So you get a lot of, yeah. you know, people are saying, oh, just for the sake of the country, for the sake of the fans, just get over yourselves and play. And it's, it's hard for us to take a stance. That's why I don't really have a firm opinion on this because I, and it's, it's kind of wrong to tell the players that, you know, like, you're rich already. You don't need that extra money. Just get out there and play. Like they're risking their lives and their safety to give us entertainment. And I understand that they're rich and they make a lot of money, but it's still, you can't just expect them to get over that. And like what you were talking about before, they have families. They have people that they care about that could become negatively impacted by all of this. They have, they're people too. At the end of the day, they're not robots. Um, I know that this is, a, I guess, a leeway into what, uh, a segue into what you were saying. Uh, Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he gave a good analogy. I'll, I'll pull this up right now. So Trevor Bauer, who I'll admit, I've, I've banged on Trevor Bauer, giving him a hard time just because he's a little... For sure. He can I'm not a, a fan either, yeah. <laughs> he, he can be a little too blunt sometimes. Yeah. And he can be kind of a knucklehead on Twitter and he kind of comes off as a jerk. Yeah. But... I have never, and I made a point when I retweeted this whole thread, I have been very hard on Trevor Bauer and I agree fully with everything he's about to to say. Mm -hmm. So um, what was initially said was um, he he kind of got into an exchange with a fan. Um, He said, okay, I'm out of work. Let me continue with my line of questioning. If you went to work tomorrow and your employer said you will only be receiving 40% of your salary for the remainder of the year, would you be okay with that? To which uh, Craig Blair, uh, who I'm assuming is a fan, you can find him on Twitter at Four Blairs, uh, and hope, and don't don't harass him, please. Um, true or false? Would you be getting your normal gross paycheck of 1.36 million every two weeks once the season started back up, or would you only be re- would you re- be receiving only 544 thousand dollars of your normal two week pay? And then Bauer went on this thread, which I will read aloud now, and it's brilliant. 
Wrong question. Let's say you're a painter. A client who is renovating apartments says he will pay you $100,000 this year for your painting services. You agree and sign the contract. You expect to be paid $100,000. The client then experiences a fire and loses half of their apartments. This is not your fault, but it's not the client's fault either. So you mutually agree that you will accept $50,000 instead of $100,000 as a show of good faith. A new contract is signed. Then the client realizes they won't be able to rent as many of their apartments as they originally thought, so they propose instead of paying you $50,000, they'll pay you half of their rental income. You have no idea how much of their rental income is, and they won't disclose it. The question then becomes, is it your fault as the painter that the client cannot rent his property? You have done the same quality work and even worked with the client to reflect doing less overall work. Is it fair for the client to now want you, as the painter, to share the burden of not being able to rent the apartments? Are your services worth less because the client cannot rent the apartments? That, in a nutshell, is a perfect explanation, if yeah. you ask me. Because, because I'm a landlord. I own a couple of rental properties across the city. And at no point would I, te would I tell one tenant, hey, this happened. Um, I, need you to, I need you to pay me to cover the losses of that apartment. I'm never going to do that, ever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's not... It's not another tenant's fault that that I can't rent out another unit. That's just not how it works. And it's not the player's fault that the owners are making less money. There's a, there's a damn pandemic going on. Right. And don't get me wrong. I understand that there is a concern about revenue loss from lack of fans because there's, there's gate revenue, there's local revenue, there's global revenue. But what we're not talking about, and this is what the Fangraphs article I mentioned earlier touched on, I, and I said this to my wife, Caitlin, earlier. I feel that the owners are negotiating, assuming that there isn't going to be a season instead of speaking to the players and trying to unite under a common goal mm -hmm. that to have a season. And most importantly, shame on the owners for leaking all these details over the weekend before the players had, a, had any opportunity. Yeah. They're trying to fight this battle in the press. So that's not going to help anyone. And let's assume for a fact that worst case scenario, there is no season. The CBA expires at the end of next year. Next December is when the CBA expires. If there is no season this year and the owners hold, uh, hold that line of 50-50 revenue split, that's it. They will lose all bargaining power. They will lose yeah. any right to make demands. Such they a will good lose, point. They will, it will be out there loud and clear. There could have been a season and the owners didn't let it happen over money. I have this argument with my parents all the time because um, my parents, I want to put out great people, always have, the, have uh, good intentions uh, in mind, but they've also kind of, in their careers, they've been in management a little too long to understand how the other side sees things anymore. Yeah. Uh, and they always say, oh, well, like, they, they don't have to, the players are employees. They don't, the, the guys who sign the checks, they don't have to disclose the finances. To which I say, yeah, but when you're asking so much of a player already, I think you owe it to them. Mm -hmm. Show that. Look, it, it's like they tell us in, in math class when we're kids, show your work. Yeah, that's like, such a good point. Why, yeah. should, why should we take what the owners are saying purely on faith without doing some deep background research? Yeah. I mean, it, I don't really know how else to simplify that. No, it's, it is very hard, even if some people want to blame or partially blame the players, it is very, very hard to feel bad for the owners. I'm sorry. It's very hard for yes. the country to sympathize with them. Now, now, now that said, it's, it's easy for some players to 
to say like, no, this isn't how it's going to be because, because I'm sure there's going to be one or two who are saying, oh no, if I, if I take this less money, I can't buy the nice car that I want. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, it's going to be very easy for some, for some players to take that, to take the 50, 50 revenue, but others that that could mean being late on the mortgage yeah. or, or missing a bill. Mm-hmm. Not all players are created equal. As they nope. say, yeah, it's not at all. Yeah, not everyone is making John Carlo Stanton, Mike Trout, Garrett Cole money. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and especially um, when you take into take into consideration that some teams are going to be making significantly less revenue uh, than others without mm-hmm. fans, especially for sure. For like, sure. Like just comes to mind the Rays, the Marlins. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can throw. We could probably throw the Padres in there as well, because even yeah. though San Diego has been spending money left and right, they're still. Not there's still kind of like a smaller baseball market compared to LA, Chicago, and the like. Of course. Uh, either way, both sides should be motivated to get a deal done. Um, I do. I think that the more this, the more that this battle is fought in the in the media, the more uh, the more sympathy is going to go towards players. At least I hope so. Yes. Um, I agree. E- either way, shame on the owners for taking this battle public. They should have kept everything behind closed doors. Tony Clark knows his job's on the line, too, so he has every incentive to fight for the players mm-hmm. right now. He compromised himself into a corner. This is his chance to do better on that. Agreed. Anyway, though, but moving on, Lean, um, how would each team right now, the Yankees and Mets, uh, if spring training were to start up again in a few weeks, they'd be in a much better position than they were, let's say, for whenever spring training uh, last uh, last at games. Absolutely. Um, injury situations are looking much better for both teams. Uh, let's start with the Mets. Michael Conforto suffered, as many of you may remember, a right oblique injury during spring training. That was actually pretty worrisome, even though the Mets were saying he wouldn't be out for very long. We all know oblique injuries usually take some time. That's about to- one to two months, yeah. Yeah, and um, it was becoming a serious concern, almost uh, certain that he was going to miss opening day. But um, he's definitely benefiting from this extended time off. And according to the Mets, should be ready to play as soon as the season resumes, which is great for Mets fans because Michael Conforto is arguably their best defensive player on a team that plays very poor defense and one of their best hitters too. Uh, the Mets are not the same when he's out of the lineup. So that's great news for them. Yeah. And um, uh, I was going to talk about Joanna Cespedes, but I guess we can get a little bit broader than that. Um, yeah. Apparently the, uh, the league is trying to have for the 2020 like coronavirus season, I guess they're trying to have universal designated hitter. That means the national league would also have designated hitters instead of having their pitchers hit. Um, and the Mets, at least in my opinion, I think would benefit from that more than any other team, more than any other National League team, uh, because they have like some good, good hitters and some power hitters, as well as players who, you know, aren't as good in the field, at least not anymore, and are at risk of getting hurt. And plus, they have their there's kind of some overcrowding going on there. So you have like options like Yoan Cespedes being a DH, which is great because as we all know, he's made of glass. So maybe better to have him hit there. Then you have Robinson Cano, who's 37 years old and uh, isn't as great with the glove as he has been in the past. J.D. Davis, not much room for him, but emerges a surprise great hitter. And lastly, Dominic Smith, who um, 
had a surprisingly good year last year, but first base we know is taken by Pete Alonso, so he may have to switch to the DH. I think that universal DH across the board, and I know I'm I know I'm gonna tick off some uh, some listeners when I say this. I think the universal DH in both leagues it's long overdue, and, oh, has, been, and has been for years. Absolutely, um, because I I have a, a friend who is a Phillies fan, who mm. is adamantly against the DH. He thinks no, like. <laughs> Teach players how to be complete ball players. Pitchers should know how to hit. It's like it, they need to learn how to play the game fully. And I'm kind of with Don LaGreca, uh, the, mm-hmm. the hardcore Mets fan in his own right, where he's like, guys, I get it. I get that it, it's like there's an element of purism to it. But when pitchers across the board aren't hitting well anymore. Yeah, what's the why, point? Yeah, like why would you, why would you not want to take advantage of a rule that – depending on how your team is structured, is going to benefit you. Literally. Because I'd argue that the Mets are going to benefit the most from, from having yes, a DH. Exactly. And, and it's not just that. You mentioned earlier that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that there's going to be more injuries uh, when spring training comes back up, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that how many times have we seen in the National League where a player, let's say, tweaks an ankle on uh, running the bases, is out for two weeks? Mm-hmm. Right now, you get, having the DH gives them the option to rest for a couple of days, see how they're feeling, and then go, okay, let's try you DH and just focus on your hitting. Can, do you feel good hitting and running the bases? Great. We're going to have you DH exclusively for now, mm-hmm. and, then, and then that's going to be fine because then they can heal on their own. And not just that, how many players or how many teams, rather, have had minor league prospects where the thing that turns the heads most is their bat, but then they come up here and between – hitting, fielding, learning all this new stuff on the major league level, they falter. Yes. This allows prospects whose defense is kind of iffy to stay in the DH role, to focus solely on adjusting the major league pitching, working on stuff on the Josh, side. It's, it's, it's great that you said that because there's a prime example of that on the Mets. Literally the only reason why Pete Alonso wasn't called up until he was 24 was because of mm-hmm. his glove. Yeah problem because a guy who is hitting that well in the minors I don't care how bad his glove is he should not be in the minors that's unacceptable and if the Mets were an AL team they would have called him up because they have that DH spot he could have DH'd but if he can't play with the glove he can't come and play first base that means he has no spot on the team yeah um, and and even if you go back uh to the to the old and pre-DH pre days of baseball the pitchers that could hit well were few and far between then too. Yes, of course. Like, and it, and I'm telling, and I say to this guy all the time, pitchers weren't hitting much to begin with, even yeah. without a DH. Why are you willing to die on this hill? Right. What, what are you losing? And, and he'll go on and on about how the double switch it forces managers to do strategy. I'm saying it's going to make managers' lives easier. Yeah. It's one less thing to worry about because, like, when you constantly have that thing in the back of your mind, I'm going to have to pinch hit for my pitcher at some point. Who am I, who's going to take that bat and do I keep them in the game afterward? That's like something that you try to prepare for as much as possible, but then depending on how the game goes, you have to make those decisions on the fly. And yeah, I know that, that there's going to be some purists who are, who are going to say, oh, well, like, oh, so we're going to have the DH just to make managers' lives easier. No, I'm making, I'm saying make the, the DH universal because the National League is literally the only league in all the world that doesn't have it anymore. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I was playing high school ball, we had 10 man lineups. We had, we had the DH and the pitcher hit. Mm-hmm. Why, or 
if, if it matters that much to you, expand to a 10-man lineup. Yeah. yeah. No, and it's, it's, you literally just said it perfectly. This is something, that's what I don't get about NL fans, like your friend who don't like this. It helps your team. It's not like it's a detriment, but overall it's better for the game or something. It literally makes your team better. And players who would have potentially had to have been traded because, for example, Dominic Smith, that's a good example on the Mets. Yeah. Like, People were thinking, oh my God, the Mets are probably going to have to trade him, but this stinks. He was like a first round pick. He has a great bat. He would have had to been traded because there's no place for him. But if there's a DH yeah. spot, like player, players can literally stay on their teams and they don't have to go anywhere. They don't have to be traded. And Mike Ford on the Yankees. Yes. There's a job for him now if there's a university right. DH. Luke Voigt, too, if the Yankees decide to move on from him. Yes. It's just like there's the benefits of a universal DH far outweigh the, I guess, any long-term damage to the game, of if course. that makes sense. Of course. People just like it because it's fun. And it's fun to see guys like Bartolo Colon get up and smash a home run. Right. Or for Jacob yes. deGrom to, like, bat in the only run for the Mets in a game, you know? Yes. Yeah. And it's... And we've seen so many pitchers lose their careers running the bases. Chinning Wong, yeah. for example. Masahiro yes, Tanaka. Yes. Oh, don't remind me. Yeah, I, I'm, st I'm still not fully recovered from that. Yeah. Uh, and there's, and I, I, said to my, I said to my friend, who, who's a Phillies fan, I said to him, just watch. In three years, when Bryce Harper can't play the outfield anymore, you're going to be loving this universe. Oh, games. yeah. Oh, yeah. Bryce Harper already can't field. His time in the outfield is going to come to an end sooner rather than later, and he's yeah. going to need to be a DH for sure. Right. Yeah. And, it's, and the same goes for guys like Reese Hoskins. Yes. Of course. It, like I said, the, the benefits of the universal DH far outweigh anything you're going to lose from making pitchers hit. Mm -hmm. Plain and simple. And, as, and yeah, it's going to take the, the, uh, the purest fans a little while to get behind that. But then I think once they see it in action and they see how much it helps their team and how much better their pitchers are doing as a result of that, I think at that point they'll finally begrudgingly say, okay, we were wrong on this one. At least Definitely. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, but you, um, mentioned, you mentioned Bartolo Colon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what Bartolo, a guy. Bartolo Colon is the baseball gift that keeps on giving. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, kind of, he's kind of become like viral Jesse Orozco in that he finds a way to keep sticking around even though, he, even though his skills are declining. He says he wants to pitch in 2020 and retire with the Mets. And I think that's, I think that's great. If he feels he can play, let him play. And I'm I will say this. I would like to see that too. He was, even though like neither of us are Mets fans, it was fun to watch Bartolo Colon on the Mets. But um, apparently even Mets fans who liked him, they're not okay with that because he's no longer good. And honestly, that's, that's kind of fair because the Mets are actually competitive now and they're going to try to win. So I, I don't know I, how Big Sexy would play a role in all big that. Big Sexy. <laughs> I think... My brother actually just just a sidebar. My brother has a uh, has a long sleeve Mets shirt that he customized himself, and all across the back it says "Big Sexy." Nice. I mean, I think that at a minimum, because first, take Bartolo Colon's entire career out of the picture for a minute. You, you take what you know about Bartolo Colon as a person, and then put him in the Mets uniform. It just makes sense. Yes. He is a Mets player. It's no different than Louis Tiant 
former mm-hmm. Red Sox great going to the Yankees towards the end of his career. Yeah. I think that at a minimum, if he is interested, the Mets, I don't see any harm in him coming to spring training whenever that comes back up again, throwing, look, give him a tryout. If, yeah. he, look, if he looks good, see how he does against, against the main squad. And if he can still hang, make him a long reliever. There, yeah. There's no harm in that. None at all. No, I agree. That would be fun to watch for sure. Um, oh, let's uh, let's go back to injuries. Let's talk about the Yankees right. real yes. quick. Yes. Yes. Uh, um, yeah, got quite a few. Giancarlo Stanton's ready to go. Yeah, we we talked about that last episode. Giancarlo Stanton is ready to go. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. Perfect. Um, Aaron Hicks is coming along very nicely, and Aaron Boone actually said that he could very well be ready by the summertime. And I, I just want to give a shout out to Aaron Hicks because he has been recovering, not just from Tommy John surgery. He's also throughout this, throughout all this with coronavirus, his, I'll use the term partner because they're not married, but um, his partner, uh, Jessica, just gave birth to their second son. Mm-hmm. So he's training, doing the whole dad thing with a newborn and his, and their older son, I think Aaron Jr. is his name. Yeah, yeah, their older son's Aaron Jr. He's old, he's still only a little bit over a year yeah, old. He's he's a baby, yeah. He oh god, he's so cute too. Yeah, he he's, is. He's like the yeah. cutest baby, and so for him to be recovering from Tommy John, doing the dad thing, all while in the blistering hot desert that is Arizona, I just want to give him a shout out. I'll do a little seven o'clock applause for uh, for Aaron Hicks right here. But, yeah. I mean, no, it's it's definitely good news. I hope he isn't rushed back because we know Aaron Hicks is kind of made of glass. But I, the, what we're the updates we've been hearing are great so far. That's really good to hear that his recovery is coming along. I nice. think the reason, I mean, because do you follow him on Instagram at all? I don't have Instagram actually. Oh, okay. Well, Aaron Aaron Hicks Instagram. He is a workout warrior. Yeah. He is doing some. He's going crazy in the gym. I he had a, a shot of him of himself the other day, just running on a treadmill. He looks like he's in the best shape of his career right now. That's awesome. And yeah. I th- and I think that a lot of his injuries are from the fact that he does work out so much that he does take take being in good shape very seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think now that the Yankees have this new training staff in with uh, led by Eric Cressy, and I think that they've fully modernized their approach to training. No respect to Steve Donahue at all mm-hmm. I think that starting this year and maybe in 2021 you're going to see a lot less injuries come out of New York yes uh, at least I hope so I um, hope so too um but, but oh. Hicks, yeah yeah go ahead uh but I think that Hicks being where he is right now he seems to be on track this is and Cash yeah. said that this is kind of where they expected him to return anyway mm-hmm. exactly that's yeah. awesome too um Good news about James Paxton, too. Apparently, he's ready. Uh, Aaron Boone said that, yeah, it, he's, he's ready to go whenever the season does start, which is awesome. The Yankees losing Luis Severino already hurts. So they're going to need literally all hands on deck. Um, yeah. And then, and lastly is Aaron Judge. Um, Brian Cashman, you and I were talking about this before. Brian Cashman said a few days ago that, they actually, the Yankees hadn't initially expected Judge to be back from his rib injury until the summertime anyway. Right, that, that was a conservative serious. estimate, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, but now apparently they are expecting him to rejoin the team at full strength once play resumes, which is awesome because we were all worried. Yeah. That, so That kind of goes hand in hand with something I experienced last week because Brian Hoke, the Yankees main beat writer for MLB.com, 
Hats off to him. He, his wife, and their two girls have been in Tampa this whole time. They, they could have they gone home to the tri-state area after, uh, after everything was shut down. No, they stayed in Tampa at their Airbnb. So hats, off to, so hats off to them. And a big thanks to Brian Hoke. Hopefully we can get him on the show for this uh, very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did a little um, happy hour Q&A uh, mm-hmm. on, his, on his Instagram story. So, he, so pretty much the way that works, since you don't have Instagram, he posts a video of himself saying, hey, here's a little question box. Uh, we're going to do a happy hour. Uh, send me all the questions you have. Now, one problem I've had with the Yankees, not just exclusive to Aaron Judge, mind you. I've had this problem with them since last year with Stanton. I feel that the Yankees as an organization, they tend to be a little too vague when discussing a player's recovery, what oh, the injury for sure. is. Yes. It's it's very frustrating, especially especially from a journalistic standpoint. Incredibly, yeah. And so I I asked uh, Brian, I said, Hey, it seems the Yankees are being a little cloak and dagger, a little quiet with with judge updates like what's going on and he gave and he answered my question which made my day but Mm, uh, but he made a very good point he said I think that they're just taking advantage of the fact that they have time to take it slow with him Mm. and then he added if let's say that they they had a date where the season was going to start up again when spring training was going to kick in again he mentioned judge could probably get into hurry up mode and be ready to go yeah. And, based, and based on what you just said, it sounds like that. Yes, exactly. And, and you know, Judge isn't going to give many updates himself just because he's almost, he's very jitarian and that he's very yes. quiet. Yes. He's, not, he's, not as, he's not as intense. He doesn't have that whole Michael Jordan intensity yeah, that definitely. Derek Jeter had that we talked about earlier, but he's very quiet. He's a quiet leader. Yeah. He's only, he's only going to speak when he feels the need to. And I think that for this generation of players, that's exactly what's needed. Mm-hmm. I think he's great for the Yankees. I was very sad to learn in playing Road to the Show on MLB The Show recently. In his contract here, he went and signed with the Red Sox. Which, <laughs> oh, it, boy. It's all right. With my, uh, with my avatar that I created with the awesome beard that you love so much. Please stop. I, guys, 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 guys. For the, for the, this is for our listeners. Okay. Josh, here, yep. Spill all the tea. Here we Josh's go. Josh's player is a Yankee and he just has a full on beard. I don't even know why MLB the show lets that be an option. Like if you are because a Yankee. Because they know beards have to come back. No. If you are a Yankee, you should not even be allowed to have a beard in the game. And Josh, th- that's already a problem. And Josh went ahead and gave his player a beard and thinks it's good luck. Hey, we've won three World Series in a row, and I strike out Aaron Judge regularly. So, uh, yeah, the beard. All of those words hurt my heart. Okay, serious question. This this wasn't on the schedule. Why do you care so much about the beard? Having a Yankees player having a beard changes nothing about the significance of being a Yankee. It affects nobody. It hurts nobody. Let Clint Frazier grow the Tormund Giants beard. It's like changing our uniform. It is not like changing our uniform. That's our thing. Clean shaven. No, no, come on. No beard, no long hair. We're a classy organization. Our players have to represent class, Josh. That's something that you seem to not understand. How is a beard not classy? Beards are wonderful. (laughs) If I could grow a beard at all, I would grow one. No, no, I'll be honest. Like, I, like beards are and, cool. You and know? you just, you just but, threw on the microphone. My computer got a text message from my wife, Caitlin. No beards for the Yankees. I'm, all, I'm alone on an island on this one. Yes. Thank you, Caitlin. I am all alone on an island with this one. I, I, you know what? Someday the Yankees are going to <laughs> let beards back in, 
and then I'm going to grow my really crappy excuse for a beer just to spite you, Lean. I hope that's, that's all. I hope that's, that's long past our time. Do. I hope that's long past our time, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna drop. Let's not drop the microphone. Okay. Anyway, uh, we got off the rails a little bit there, but you know what? Maybe I will change my avatar so he has cornrows instead of a beard. But we'll see. Okay. Whatever, anyway, Josh, you do you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. Don't, <laughs> don't tell me how to play the show. Anyway, uh, um, anyway, uh, last thing we're going to cover. Should we switch to football real quick? Uh, yeah, last thing we're going to cover today. We've got some uh, New York Giants news. Um, I don't know how to best approach this. Uh, Lean, take it away. Let me just say you're lucky you're not a Giants fan, man. I'm just going to rant real quick. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm sure most people are aware of what's happening. Uh, our rookie, the Giants rookie co- cornerback, DeAndre or, or Baker. Or soon to be second year cornerback. Yes, exactly. Uh, and Quentin Dunbar, cornerback for the now Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, form- formerly of, uh, of Washington. Yes. Yeah, Washington. Yep, the Redskins. Um, yeah, they were arrested for a bunch of different things. Mainly they tried, they, they apparently allegedly stole money and watches off of some guys at a party uh most recent update today they both pled not guilty which is i don't they, know how and that's and gonna they, go they both turned themselves in yeah, yeah they both turned them yeah baker it took him a little bit longer than dunbar but he ended up yeah. turning himself in as well um I, I'm, I'm just super annoyed because I'll be honest with you, I never wanted Baker on the Giants. I, I was texting you about this the other day yes, yes. when uh, our general manager, Dave Gettleman, tr- uh, traded up to draft him. I was already a little bummed out. There were better players on the board. And then, to make matters worse, DeAndre Baker went on to have a not great rookie season. He definitely got it together towards the end, but overall he was a disappointment for sure. And then you hear about behavior issues like sleeping in meetings, not paying attention, not having a good work ethic. And that's just a huge turnoff. And then he goes and does this and it's just like, Gettleman, what were you doing? Um, He had such a great draft too this year. And then this happens and now we hate him again. It's, it's I think, (laughs) look, I, I'm not going to, be too hard on DeAndre Baker for not knowing the plays or falling asleep in meetings because you said yourself that he got it together towards the end or was kind of on uh, trending towards that path. Yeah. I, I'm willing to give him a pass just because Pat Shermer was so woefully incompetent as a head of coach. Of course. There's no I don't, Pat Shermer's a great offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. He's a great offensive coordinator. He draws up good plays. He is not a good head coach. Yes, for sure. And I had – I had high hopes for him with the Giants because his only other experience was with uh, the Browns as a head coach. Yeah. But if a player, if a rookie player especially, isn't buying what the coach is selling, then I'm not going to fall. Even if, even if the player is falling asleep in meetings, they shouldn't be doing that. But if the coaching's that big of a problem, I'm not going to be too hard on them. It's just that, Josh, you know, like you're making a really good point, but also – if I do let myself think that way, I then think about the other rookies. For example, Darius Slayton, Julian Love, Dexter Lawrence, who were some of the best rookies in the game this year, and they were all playing on the same team. Two of those players were playing on the same defense as DeAndre Baker, you know, well, and like Julian that, Love was drafted enough. four rounds later. Well, you, Why well, are you're they... just, well, you were just setting up my next point for me. Yeah. DeAndre Baker, as far as I can remember, going into the draft, most, like because of his character issues, people didn't see him as a day one pick. 
Mm-hmm. And yet the Giants traded back up to get him. And yes. I'm going and I'm gonna use my Ravens as the example here. Mm-hmm. The Ravens traded back into round one or traded down. Uh, I can't remember exactly to select Lamar Jackson. Yeah. And the reason they did that was they still had Joe Flacco, but um, Eric DaCosta and Ozzie Newsom realized, okay, the league's kind of moving away from the traditional pocket passer. And who are the guys who are doing well? These, these fast guys who can, who can like um, see breaks in the line, who can get creative guys like Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, let's give him some coaching with John Harbaugh. Who's probably one of the best coaches in the league right now. Of course, yeah. see, what happens, see what happens. So they saw they had to modernize a quarterback and they thought Lamar Jackson is our guy. Mm-hmm. And just for, oh God, why, why are my messages going up again? I, should, I, should I know that's close. the worst. Yeah. But I close these. All right, I'm going to quit that. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, anyway, so it wasn't, it wasn't even an update. I'm going, what is happening? It's okay, just let it beep. Okay. I don't think the listeners yeah. care that much. All right, All okay. right. We'll, we'll edit that out. Anyway, so <laughs> so, so anyway, what happened? Um, the Ravens traded up or traded to get Lamar Jackson because they, they saw him as their guy. Mm-hmm. And I... That just goes to my philosophy, my draft philosophy. If you're going to trade back up or trade down into the end of round one, make sure that whoever you're drafting is your guy, that they're going to be a game-changing talent. And then Gellman trades back up into round one or defensive back. Mm-hmm. I, I think we could safely say that we could throw defensive backs – and offensive linemen in the same category that you you can easily find a Hall of Fame or even a Pro Bowl talent later. in the later rounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because especially with Baker and all his character issues, all of these uh, these he's always got an attitude. He's going to butt heads with coaching. I'll be the first to say if you're in a position to upgrade your defense with someone from the SEC, do it. Right, of course. Like. Every college football fan knows you want a top defensive player. It's Ohio State and SEC. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm not just saying that because you're a Buckeye. Yeah. Ohio State OH, builds baby. defenses. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I know. There I said. Not, not Michigan. Not Michigan, boy. Yeah. Go blue. Anyway. So, but anyway, <laughs> to take it to dra- trade up and take an SEC defender when there's still so many question marks, it's really not a good look, especially when they were. I think it was eight counts against Hunter himself. Mm. If I'm Gettleman, I'm praying that this is all one giant misunderstanding. I'm not going to get into why this happened because I'm in a Ravens group chat and someone asked, like, why is this happening in the NFL? And someone said, because these are guys in their mid-20s who have millions of dollars and nobody to hold them accountable. Honestly, though, of course that's true. But um, my dad mentioned this when we were talking about it. He said that... And it's it's hard to prove anything otherwise. This happens so much more frequently in the NFL than any than athletes of any other sport. And I really right. do think like all that hitting, man. I think it messes up people's judgment or something. It might be because your your dad's absolutely right. We don't see this nearly on the same level as in like the baseball or basketball offseason. In any yeah, in any like, sport. You like I'm. I wouldn't be shocked if in some deep, dark, degenerate corner of Las Vegas, there is a sports book that has an over-under for how many off-season arrests there are going to be in the NFL. <laughs> like, 
Just thinking about that. Like, well, okay, like, um, all right, right after the Super Bowl is over uh, and it opens up, let's say, two weeks before the draft. Okay, over under for off season arrest is it six? <laughs> I no, I I would not be surprised in the slightest if they had that going in Vegas. That's like yeah, but um, it, I do. What yeah, you but saying, but your, your your dad is right that it is it is a rampant problem in the NFL. Of course, what you were um what you were saying before though about like Gettleman hoping that this is just a big misunderstanding. I never liked the Baker pick. I still don't, even more so now. But I'm also hoping that that's not the case because as all of you probably know, the Giants have one of the absolute worst defenses in the league. Our backup cornerbacks are – they wouldn't even be backups on 90% of other teams. Not a single one of them is capable of taking that starting cornerback job. And the fact that Baker did improve at the end of the year, that's good news. I do want him, at least for now, to be the starting cornerback. And I don't know if there are any really viable options left available. I mean, the good news for the Giants is that the, is that, um, the NFC East, especially at quarterback, and this goes across the board. I'm, I'm going to include Daniel Jones in this just because he's a mm-hmm. second-year player, and I think that three years is the proper sample size for any young yeah. quarterback. The NFC East quarterbacks across the board, and, I'm gonna, and this includes Carson Wentz, they're streaky. Oh yes, because uh, Dak Prescott. Have the worst group of quarterbacks in the league, like division wise. Like, da- Daniel Jones, he's a second-year player with a rookie offensive tackle to protect him. Yes. Dak Prescott, very talented, but he's not an elite talent, and his protection is is aging. Like Tyron Smith is not going to be as good this year as he was. Yeah, last time. I mean like, they do have the best offensive line in the league, but they you're still right, have the best offensive aging. line in the league. But yes. the, but like this offensive line, because they've done they've had to do so much protecting of not just Dak Prescott but also Tony Romo and mm. various backups. Like, I mean the mileage on them, especially playing on turf too. Yeah, that, like they're going to age faster. No, you're not wrong. Yeah. Carson Carson Wentz, he's really good when he's healthy, and we just saw that your your brother's an Eagles fan. Don't, Josh, don't get me started on Carson Wentz. I'm going to get dogged for this. I think Carson Wentz is one of, if not the most overrated quarterback in the league. You're right. He's, he's good when he's healthy, but I would never, even when he's healthy, I would never call him one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. I, can, I don't think he's that great. I, I don't know. I can I can definitely understand why some would view him as overrated. I haven't looked yeah. up. I haven't compared his stats with others enough to formulate an opinion on that. But the fact remains, while he's done very good work for the Eagles, he's hurt way too often for a of quarterback. And in Washington, Ron Rivera, is Dwayne Haskins his guy? We don't right. know. We don't know. Yeah, exactly. and Dwayne Haskins, I think, can be a very talented NFL quarterback. Yeah. But he was this kind of guy who needed, to, who needed to sit on the bench for one or two years, and he got thrown out of the frying pan into the fire last year. Of course, yeah. For, for reasons that we all know. Yeah. So Definitely. I think that we're going to try and determine that, And that said, with the, with the Giants' corners, he, let's say that, that DeAndre Baker, all the allegations against him are true, and he's off the team this year. Mm-hmm. I think that despite that, the Giants' corners, they'll be able to kind of fake it to a certain extent just because their division's QBs are so streaky. That's fair. And plus, we all know that the Giants are not going to be competitive this year. So I think it's going to be less of uh, an urgent matter for management to go and like absolutely find a very good cornerback. That may be something that can wait until next year's draft. So I I hope what you're saying is right for sure. 
I mean, I think the Giants this year, it's going to be, it's largely going to be, okay, A, is Joe Judge our guy? Yes. And B, is Daniel Jones our guy? Mm -hmm. C, if Joe Judge is our guy, which of the holdovers from the previous regimes are going to stay with him? Yeah. Because I, I, now I'll say, I'm still very skeptical of this hire. There were plenty of bigger names Mm -hmm. out there and Gettleman kind of moved against the grain like he's very wont to do and hire this guy, Joe Judge. Now that said, the way that Joe Judge comes off in interviews, I think is very impressive. I think this is someone who knows what he's talking about, who who, despite his lack of experience, he understands the game, Mm -hmm. which especially in an era of spread offenses and lots of read option QBs like Lamar Jackson, like Dak Prescott, like Russell Wilson, um no initially i had the same reaction as what you're saying now i wasn't really i didn't hate the hire because i didn't know the guy but there were other options that we knew about so it was a little strange that he started talking and i think he captured the liking and attention of the giants fan base after that he seems like he has a great attitude no nonsense coach we've really missed this since tom coughlin for sure um so tom coughlin's no nonsense to a fault oh i mean no of course yeah i mean like because i just hearing just hearing like um this one story that i heard at a giants camp several times was that tom coughlin he set a meeting for let's say two o'clock Mm-hmm. If you didn't show up at least five minutes early, you got fined. Like, mm-hmm. like if I, I showed up at let's say one fifty-eight, the meeting hasn't started yet. I'm not being disruptive. I'm sitting down just very quietly because I arrived at one fifty-eight and not one fifty-five. I'm getting a fine. Yeah, that's a little much. No, he, he, yeah, he may have been a little too strict, but you know, he got me rings, so I'm cool yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two um, rings against Tom Brady. Yes, couldn't have had it better, you know. But um. Yeah, so that's the deal with DeAndre Baker, all that nonsense. I, I hope there was some misunderstanding. I don't know. But um, switching to another Giants slash former Giants player, Cody Latimer, wide receiver of the uh, Washington Redskins. He was arrested on five charges that included assault and the prohibited use of uh, a weapon. and like Yeah, this was, this was in uh, South Denver. Yes, we got arrested. And uh, but apparently, like what we were saying before, the individual involved had sexually assaulted Latimer's four-year-old son, and Latimer confronted them at a poker game. So uh, this story is very strange and upsetting. Yeah, um, this is this is um, a story that I'm I'm not trying to make a joke with this. I'm not trying to make light of what happened, but this is. Uh, an arrest, an allegation that the NFL has to handle with kid gloves. Mm-hmm. Because this is completely, because I'm about to become a parent. If, yeah. if I found out that someone who had been in my house and I considered a friend was messing around in that fashion with my kid, I'm going to react similarly. Of course. Pl- plain and a simple. Parent wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. And so that said, I think that as Roger Goodell investigates this and if all the allegations involving uh, Dunbar's son being assaulted are true and that he was just reacting as a means of protecting his son I think that at most the NFL should say to him hey we're very sorry this happened just because of the personal conduct policy we're only going to issue you a fine and a one-game suspension mm-hmm. it, and I and 
I might not even suspend him. I would, I would just fine him because regardless of circumstances, don't be an idiot with a gun. Yeah. Don't be, don't be that guy. For sure. I know it's just, it's just crazy, especially as a Giants fan. It's like, yeah, uh, Latimer's no longer on the Giants, but he was, and DeAndre Baker. It's just, I don't know what playing for the Giants does to people, but yeah. I don't know. I do feel bad for him, though. Uh, hope they well, yeah, because yeah, no parent should have – this is every parent's nightmare. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but hopefully he's uh, – it's, it's smoothed over sooner rather than later. Definitely. And most important, I hope his son's okay. Mm-hmm. As for for anyone to go through to be subject to that, let alone a four year old. Yeah, it's traumatizing. Yeah, kids are, absolutely. Kids are a soft kids are a soft spot for me. So yeah, yeah. But anyway, I <laughs> I hope that Latimer and his family are able to come out of this mostly unscathed. Yeah, I hope that I hope that DeAndre Baker finds some sort of life lesson out of this and gets his crap together. Yeah, I need him to get his act together. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And Quentin Dunbar, I. I think he's very talented, and I also like the Seahawks. So hopefully, mm-hmm. he, so hopefully the same happens for, for him. sure. You never want this stuff to be true. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, I think that's all the time we have today here on Yankees Mets Express. Uh, Lean, did, did we forget anything? Did we cover everything? No, I think we got everything. All right. Well, you can find uh, our social media is coming. We'll talk about that on the next show. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Josh B E S N Y. Uh, Lean, where can they find you? L-E-E-N underscore A-M-I-N. There you go. Be sure to enable notifications. This show is brought to you by Elite Sports NY, ESNY Radio, the voice, the pulse of New York City sports. Thanks for listening. Uh, Lean, you got anything else to add? No, that's it. Looking forward to talking to you guys next week. Yep. See you next week, folks. In the meantime, stand clear of the closing doors.